Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about how you can judge the effectiveness of your leadership and your persuasion abilities. Hmm. Um, okay, you know what? I'm like trying to be pithy once again. This is like the second time you've you've stumped my pithy. You're, you're pithless. I'm pithless. <laughs> I am pithless. That happens when you're 61 sometimes, you know? You, you think... You, you think you're going to be pithy, but then you're pithless. Your pith gets blocked. Yeah, it's a, it's a function of age. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, but what isn't a function of age is being able to judge whether you're being effective with your leadership. Strong transition. Yeah, that was. That really was good. <laughs> so what are your ideas on this? How do we know whether we're being effective? Well, you, you know, I mean, I think the obvious answer, the biggest answer, right, is, is and, you know, we're both in the business. So we say, yo, leadership 360. And and I think clearly that's that's the best way. But a lot of people don't want to take the either they don't believe in assessments. I don't know why they exist. It's not like a fairy. Right. The good, well, well created assessments are going to give you just a ton of information. But maybe you just want a quick gauge. Like, do I even want to bother? Um, and, and this came up and I was telling you about this earlier because I, I was talking to a company that acquired a company that sold a product that I bought some years ago that was, you know, uh, I had a customer service issue back in 2020 with. And the new company, although they don't support the product anymore, they did it. The guy did a great job with me on the phone. You know, I didn't and I'm really sensitive to customer service. Mm -hmm. and, and it occurred to me, I'm like, yeah, I bet they're under good leadership. And it was just this thought that popped into my head. And so I think like the best quickie gouge, if, you know, we're just going to do a quickie here, is how's your customer service? Right. Well, and I think, and I think it tells you so many things because if your team, if your customer service, people that are serving your customers, like we talked about earlier, they may not be customer service people, but if the people serving your customers, and I, I was just using some giant air quotes that you all couldn't see out there, but anyway, if they, if your team is empowered to answer questions, to solve problems, and to and, and they're happy enough with their job to be friendly and lovely to people, that means that there's a level of satisfaction with the job that most of the time comes from the leadership. Right, and and you sort of alluded to this, right? Customer service is a tough job. Typically, mm. um, you're dealing with people who are having issues. Where's my shipment? It's not here on time. There's a problem with the product. How do I, you know, sometimes it's simple. Well, how do I process a return? You got a good customer, you got a good return policy, but they're the ones who are dealing with problems. And so they need to be the best them they can be. Yeah. It's going to come through. Well, and, and if they feel supported, they're going to be able to handle those challenges if they feel like they've been trained well to be able to handle those challenges. If there's enough recognition and appreciation, then that tends to overshadow the negative stuff, negative, 
that comes with customer service. So it's it it's points to all those factors that we've talked about so many times with what good leadership is. Right. Great leadership will take the quote negative, right? Dealing with irate customers and turn them into positives. Look how well you dealt with that irate customer. So that people, customer service reps feel like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. And I can't wait for the next ticked off customer so I could turn them around. And that becomes their attitude. And that's a sign of great leadership. Yep, exactly. Now you mentioned this a sec or probably more than a second ago, but as we started this conversation, because um, you, you said something to the effect of whether they have a customer service department or not. Um, so, you know, not every company has a customer service department. But all companies, I think this is a pretty safe thing to say, serve customers in some way. Yeah. Otherwise, why are they in business? <laughs> exactly. And it's, and it's finding out how, even though you may not have a customer service team, and frankly, you know, I used to do some training for Unipro, which is a food service company, and they had a corporate policy, corporate, it wasn't policy, it was more of a, um, a culture that said that we are all in customer service. We are all serving the client. That's why we're here every job. Even the people who are emptying the trash and the people who are buying the office supplies, and the CEO at the top, everybody's job is to serve their members, um, which are essentially their customers. And so really kind of everybody is. Yeah. And, and actually, I mean, this is such a fantastic point because uh, Zappos, and I've talked about them because they're one of my favorites too. They have that exact same attitude, which is why everybody gets through phone training. And, and to their benefit of doing that is they have people who like coders who create their web page who now look at things from a customer centric perspective instead of a developer's perspective. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it makes the experience that much better for customers. And that comes from leadership. Right. And that makes them want to buy more stuff, which is why we're here. That's <laughs> totally true. And it's funny. I, I was, and it all comes from that empowerment, right? What we do as leaders, where I, as the person serving the customer, I'm empowered to make decisions, empowered to solve problems, empowered to help people get beyond the frustration and get to a solution. Um, and I feel like I'm supported and I trust that I have the information I need to be able to effectively do that. And that means my manager is doing their job. Yeah. And it's funny now we're sitting out this conversation and I'm thinking of companies I've dealt with that quote, didn't have customer service departments and, and you but they have people who are very customer facing and I'm talking about a big bank in this particular case, one of the biggest banks. And I'm not going to say their name, um, but, you know, you, you know, I just, you know, because they'll come riding in on a stagecoach. So, you know, uh, well, you know, we'll forgo that one. Um, hint, hint, hint. I was literally about to open a bank account with them. <laughs> <laughs> and. And you know, part of the problem here is, of course, regulations have just made it that that's an industry that I would hate to be in. It's so difficult. Mm -hmm. But in their particular case, their 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 business model is such that there's no one person that you could work with and they have to pass you on and pass you on and pass you on and make it really difficult to get things done. And to me, that's a fault of leadership. And the reason I say that is, yes, it's a highly regulated industry and there's other banks who do a better job under the same restrictions. Right. And I and it reminds me exactly of the bank I used to bank with in Michigan. 
when COVID hit, they shifted their entire organizational structure of their team and no longer were their loan officers and tellers and everybody did everything so that no matter who walked in the door or didn't walk in the door or called on the phone, they could be served. And it, it was just a, a pivot in business model and the courage of that leadership to say, we need to serve our clients in a different way. And right now what we're doing is not providing that great customer service. And so they choose chose to make that change. Right. And the most important part of that sentence was we need to serve our clients. Right. Different way, same way. We need to serve our clients. And so whatever it takes to serve. Yeah. You know, and that's why, and you and I know this, you know, again, being in the business, why so many people are enamored with servant leadership, you know, the concept, you know, um, and, and it, it is, it's, it's a great concept. It's another way of presenting the same information you and I present, you know, it's just a different paradigm, but it, the concept I have no fault with there, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's it and it I know I've had a lot of people kind of look askance at me when I say when I start talking about servant leadership because they're like, "Wait a minute, what? I'm just supposed to be a servant?" And it's like, "No, you have a mindset that I'm here to serve. If I'm a leader, I'm here to serve my team. I'm here to serve our client. I'm here to serve the organizational goals like we talked about a week or so ago." And you know, really looking at who am I serving in my role? I mean, I think that's when I was in New York City on the executive team of that large gym chain. I think that's part of the reason I was successful is because I saw my job as to enable my team to do their jobs, to yeah. give them the tools and the, everything that they needed to do that. And that's servant leadership. I'm serving my team so they can crush it. Right. And this actually goes way back even before, you know, the book, the servant leadership thing came out, because this this is TQM. This is Demings, you know, totally. it's all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff, right? Bottom, bottom up management, right? Let the, let the lowest person make, you know, closest to the customer, make the important decisions, you know, and support them in that and view your direct reports as your customers. And, and in fact, that's what it is. Well, and that's, and that's why so many organizations are flattening out the business, the organizational chart to say, nobody's more important than anybody else. And we got to make sure that the people on the front line are feeling important because then they're going to serve our clients well and we're all going to make more money. And so the ego goes out the window and we say, how do we serve these people well? How do we to make sure that our clients are getting the uh, what they need? Yeah. And yeah, uh, I don't I hesitate like this only because I know what you mean by the ego goes out the window in my paradigm, the really healthy egos, they don't go out the window. They're reinforced by the fact that they're accomplishing their goals, that they're helping their people. That, to, to me, that feeds the ego. That's like, wow, look at this. My people are, are standing on their own and I've empowered them to do that. And that, that feeds my ego. I don't have to keep it in check, right? It's just a question, you know, it's a different shift. It's a mind shift of saying, what is it that's going to feed my ego? Do I have to do everything? Do I have to make all the decisions? My world, that's well, a and, and that turns around to what is your ego feeding, Right. right? With the healthy ego you're talking about, that feeds your confidence, your ability to lead well, your ability to let go of control. Whereas if your ego is feeding your self-esteem, then you start moving into the, I have to have the power. I have to be in control of everything. I can't trust anybody. And and you're getting that build up from in a negative way. Wow. It's almost like the Atkins diet of egos, right? You know? Uh <laughs> 
I can't remember which one the Atkins is. I, I just picked one, but I think Atkins. I just is, remember the Atkins guy died of a heart attack, and I was like, okay, I don't want his diet. Yeah, so, so, so of course, well, who's that big runner with uh, Jim? Uh, um, what was his name? He was big runner, big health guy, and he died of a heart attack like in his early fifties. Um, but he had a, he, he had a history, so his his history he had a congenital heart issue, a, a family history, and he lived longer than his genes probably would have allowed, but you know, it was kind of a thing, but we completely digress. <laughs> um, not that we've ever done that before. Never. Never. This is the Except first. that one time we digressed, but you know, whatever. What were yeah. you saying? I, I don't know. We, we digressed and then we went off on a different tangent. Um, Nobody's talking about the negative and the positive ego, but, and, right. that, and that's something that we've talked about from a leadership perspective is the need to be able to make sure that you are serving your team and not serving your own negative need for power and control. Yeah. So, so coming back to telling, so customer service is a great way to tell because they said those are the most high stress folks. Is there anything in particular you recommend doing to make sure? I mean, because I mean, I, I've worked for a guy who thought we had great customer service that sucked. Um, you know, I couldn't convince him of it. I think one of the big pieces is to pay attention. What John Maxwell says, walk slowly through the room, see what's happening, listen to phone calls, you know, watch interactions, not in like a creepy standing in the corner of the room, like creepily watching, but figure out ways to observe what's actually happening and, and seek out that the, to experience what your clients are experiencing. Yeah. And, and, and if you are listening you know, from the either either standing near or, you know, listening on the phone, some systems allow that to happen. And, and I recommend that, by the way, in customer service, if you can listen to both sides of the conversation or tape, you know, that's why, you know, calls will be recorded for training quality purposes. Insurance. Right. And quality assurance for training purposes, which is really, it's actually, listen to them. If you have that capability, listen to them. Right. Or even if you're listening to half the conversation, listen from a customer's perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, and... And so many people say, I don't want to check up on my team. I don't want to, but do this. How about we turn it into a positive and say, I'm going to listen to, you know, every CSM's um, phone, two phone conversations from every customer service who's on the phone per month. And if it reaches that standard, if you're using the scripts we have, or if they leave happy or whatever, you're going to get a bonus or you're going to get a, some kind of incentive or even just a shout out. But instead of thinking about it as calling them out and checking up on them, call it out as quality assurance and reassure or appreciating and acknowledging a great job. Um, and then you're also able to catch the bad stuff. Well, I mean, people respect what you inspect. I didn't make that up. That's an old saying, um, you know, energy in, right? It takes energy to maintain the system and energy in, in this case is checking up on them. That's our job as managers. Okay, that's the managerial job part of leadership, right? So leadership is about leading people, managing is about managing systems. You have to check on the system to manage it. You have to know when it's breaking down. And if you don't inspect it on a continuous basis, you'll never know. I did that at the moving company at Priority Moving. We developed, I think I've shared the story before, we developed a script because my um, move coordinators, which were customer service reps slash inside salespeople, they were the folks who answered the phone every mm -hmm. phone call. They were, you know, we had three of them. So I developed a script that would work under any circumstances. And I 
we practiced it, we trained it, and I expected them to do it. And once they were up to speed, I told them, I'm going to listen to each of your calls once a week. You said once a month, once a week, you know, whatever. whatever. Mm-hmm. They knew. They also knew that if I didn't hear the script, my assumption was they didn't do it all the time. Because mm-hmm. that's the first thing. Oh, oh, you just caught the one time. No, I didn't. What are the odds of that, right? And and so, and it became rare that they would go off script. Right. So, Which all those scripts we prove are working. Um, the other thing that I love, a different way to figure out what's happening with your client services is a quick, easy way. You know, the first time I saw it, I was walking, I think it was at O'Hare at the airport, walking out of the bathroom and they have a smiley face and a sad face button. How was it? Boom. I hit smiley face. But little things like that, little opportunities to see what your client is experiencing. You know, so many companies now are doing customer satisfaction surveys. And so the the thing I like about that potty button (laughs) was that it was quick for me. I'm happy to do it if I had a great experience. I did the same thing on my check the other day with my server at Red Mesa with my delicious mofongo. I, I, it gave me the opportunity after I paid my check on the little toast thing, it gave me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And it just gave me that quick, easy opportunity to say thumbs up. It's going well. And, yeah. and it didn't take any extra of my time. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have the technology for any of that, not that this is really hard nowadays, this stuff is all really, really simple to do. One of my favorites is just be a secret shopper. You know, Mm. it depends on the environment, right? And sometimes you can't get away with it. Maybe hire somebody else to do it. If you're B2C, you can do secret shopper easy. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you got to tell, you know, your brother, your sister, your mother, your friend, whoever it is, and you, you know, you give them whatever it takes. Here's the hundred dollars or whatever to buy for my company. Right. Do a secret shopper. Make sure you tell them what to look for and, and, and do that. But even if you're B2C, you could potentially do secret shopper. You mean B2B? Oh, B2B. Sorry. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. I got my yeah. B's and C's mixed up. B's mixed up. <laughs> they tell me to mind my P's and Q's, but they didn't say anything about my B's and C's. And um, I did move this interview an hour later. So you're an hour older now. Yeah. Which makes me more forgetful. Um, <laughs> No, but it's true. Figuring out ways to experience it yourself or have somebody external to an actual customer situation get in there and, and be customer served. Yeah. And the other thing is, and I think this is really important, is you need to have higher standards than your customers. If your standards are always higher than your customers, your customers will almost never be disappointed, right? It's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And that's a hell of a lot better than you being said. And I've, we've all run into that where the, where the boss is like, oh, no, we did it right. And you're like, no, you didn't. Yeah. You screwed up my experience. You know, oh, it's, I saw this on um, oh, one of those food, you know, restaurant rescue shows. I uh, uh, can't remember which one it was. And they wanted, oh, it was Gordon Ramsay's show. And the couple who had the restaurant, and they actually became really famous on, on social media because they were such idiots. Um, but all they wanted, like the food was terrible. Gordon's like, this food is terrible. And, and they had no customers because the food was terrible. And the guy was like a super well-trained chef, but his food was crap. And, and, and they wanted Gordon there to convince their neighborhood where they were that no, the food was good, not to fix their restaurant. 
And he was like, no, it's crap. Yeah. Yeah. With a British accent. Right. Rather than Scottish. Sorry about that. (laughs) So at any rate, um, yeah, do do it. You know, and and this isn't going to help you figure out where the problem is. This will simply identify that there's a problem. Right. Yep. And and I I love what you said about having higher standards than your customers, because I think, you know, if you are training that you have that mindset and you're empowering your team to be better than acceptable, then they will be able to provide that and they will have that expectation. And even on their worst day, they're still going to be better than perhaps is expected. Right. And if your customers are never dissatisfied, well, how terrible is that? Right, exactly. Yeah. Put your put your customer service negative dealings out of out of the way, but unfortunately that's going to take a lot of work. But so once you do identify the problem though, I think this is really really one of the importantest things about leadership that is so often not handled, which is having those conversations and helping people be better. Right. And you know, this is and this has become a real focus of mine of lately is the realization that our job as leaders are to help people be better. So follow me on this one. Somebody's not doing their job. It's my job to make them be better, to help them be better, to guide them to be better. If I don't do that by having that difficult conversation, guess what I'm not doing? Your job. job. Yeah. And how can I expect them to do their job if I'm not willing to do mine? Well, and they may not even have any idea that they're doing anything wrong. I mean, you know. Most of the time they don't. Right. And so, you know, so many leaders tell me, well, they should know. They should know. I said, well, obviously they don't, or they don't think it's important to you, or they've gotten away with it for so long that they're not, they're like, oh, it's not that important. And so following up with those things, having those conversations over and over and over is an investment in the future where you won't have to have those conversations anymore because the people get it and they're doing what you're asking them to do. Yeah. And and, and you nailed it. If you're and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, if you're not doing if I was talking about inspecting, right, people respect what you inspect. If you're not taking it to the next step, so now you've you've found out a problem and now you don't hold them accountable to that problem, you're actually telling them two things. One, it's not that important, or two, you're not that capable. Because mm. we don't hold people accountable for something they're not capable of doing. Mm. And I love that language too, because that's so empowering. Like I wouldn't talk to you about this if I didn't think you were fully capable of doing this really well. And that's saying, I believe in you. And sometimes when people don't have that confidence and they don't have, you know, this this may be somebody new at the job, they've learned the skills, but they haven't practiced them to the point of competence and unconscious competence. So they need to borrow our belief. And if we're going saying, hey, here's what we need and here's what I'm not getting, here are some tools to get there. What? How else can I help you? Now they understand, like you said. I value you because you can do this and I expect you to do it. Right. So if I'm doing my job all the time and you know it, you work for me because mm-hmm. I'm holding people. I'm doing everything that, that's required in my job. I'm giving you yeah. the training you need. I'm giving you the emotional support you need. Right. I'm getting rid of the barriers that keep you from doing your job. Right. So, so I'm doing my job all the time. And I say to you, I hired you because you're capable of doing this. And you know, I'm right. Everything I do, I do, I do. Right. 
there's, there's some validity there. And then we start to believe in ourselves. And especially as I've trained you and you've demonstrated, because this is formal training we're talking about. So you've demonstrated in the training a minimum degree of competency. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, then it's all on them. Right. They know it. Right. And the more frequency that the more often you're having these conversations about performance, about how you're doing, thank you for doing this. This could be better. The more often that you're having these conversations, the easier they get because it's the expectation that we're talking about this. It's not a once a month conversation that's super uncomfortable for everybody or like several companies I've worked for a once a year conversation where we find out everything that went wrong that would have been really helpful to know 27 months ago. Well, isn't that the worst? Oh man, I've had that happen in a performance evaluation where they're like, okay, you've been doing this wrong for the last four months. And I'm like, uh, why didn't you tell me three and a half months ago? Cause I would have loved to have done it well. Right. Right. So again, case in point, now you have a manager slash supervisor not doing their job and you're the one taking the fall for it. Exactly. And now it's on my permanent record and I'm disgruntled with the leader because I'm like, I could have been doing a really good job had you taught me what wasn't going well, right? So most people really want to do a good job. And if they know that's the expectation, they're going to rise to it. But you have to be courageous and have those conversations as a leader. You know, you make leadership sound pretty simple. It's simple, but it's not easy, Dave. Actually, I think it is both simple and easy if you have the courage to do it. Well, that's the thing. But courage is not easy to come by sometimes. So it takes skill building and take effort towards building those skills to help build your confidence so that it does get easier. But the cool thing is, once you start implementing these strategies for communication, and once you start really connecting with your team, the you don't need the courage anymore because you know that that team is behind you. You know that you're all feeling good about working together and trusting each other and you can have the tough conversations and you don't need the courage so much anymore. So usually it's just in the establishment of that rapport and that trust and that expectation where the tough courage is required. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's the only hard part is is developing the courage. And, and courage, frankly, comes from caring about them more than you care about yourself. Yes, in certain moments, that's right. To right. be able to say, I'm going to sacrifice my comfort to help you nail the the quality that I know you can do. Yeah, totally. Got it, Got it in one. I'm going to risk you liking me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to risk the uncomfortable conversation. I'm going to risk the heartburn I get before we sit down and have this conversation. I'm going to risk all of this because I care about you and your success. Bingo. And that's servant leadership, right? That goes right back to what we were talking about. Here we are. Wow. Maybe there's something to this. <laughs> if only the world knew, Dave. Maybe we can get the word out somehow. You know, if there was only some way we could record these conversations and other people could listen in. And they could subscribe so they never miss one amazing episode. How? Wow. So if they were, if such a thing existed, how would they subscribe? They push the little purple button. 
Is it always purple? I don't know. <laughs> but someplace it's going to say subscribe. Yeah, they should put, push that. Just click that. Yeah, click yeah. that. And every time we have one of these conversations, they get to hear it. Yeah. We're such givers, Dave. We are servant leaders. I know. I wish there was just some way that could come true. <laughs> Subscribe right. today to Disarming Persuasion Podcast with Dave Rosenberg and Ann Bonnie. Not the pirate. Not the pirate. Well, a little bit of the pirate. Oh, a little, a little bit. I just found, a, speaking of which, completely off topic, but I just found a pirate ship in uh, like the Virginia Beach area that's for sale for $45,000. I could live on a pirate ship. If I hadn't just moved to paradise, I would totally think about buying a pirate ship and moving on to it. And, that and would be cool. given the history in this Tampa St. Pete area of piracy, I would not bring that ship down there. Right. They so, probably so, would kick me out. So, 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 well, I think somebody would probably, you know, put a cannon across the yard arm or something, you know. They probably, they probably wouldn't make the trip. It didn't look very seaworthy. <laughs> <laughs> but how cool would that be? Like, how cool would that be on my dating profile? That would be I, I did the voice of a video game once. I, you know, climb a Kilimanjaro in the December and I live on a pirate ship. Okay. And, you know, I really don't want to hijack this podcast. Yeah, I shouldn't go any further. But but I, I would just invite you to consider what would be the profile of the guy responding to that. I don't know, but it'd be interesting. It wouldn't be boring anyway. <laughs> That's a fact. All right. Well, listen, before we get too crazy here, yeah, why don't we wrap this up? So if you, what I'd love to hear from you folks, besides subscribing, because I guess that concept exists, who knew? Yeah. Um, so besides subscribing to our podcast, let us know how you know your leadership's effective. What are you using to judge? Because if you're just going along thinking you're doing a good job with your head in the sand, you might just figure out that you're not. All right. In that case, that'll wrap it up for this week. Until next week. We'll see you next week, everybody. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Yeah.